Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I'm joined by guest Jason Mundock to talk about value pricing agile projects. Jason is a co-founder of Elusive Moose, an online business resource and community for software developers. He's been developing custom business applications since 2000 and has been successfully managing software development projects for over 10 years. In 2012, Jason began training and coaching software development consultancies on implementing agile methodologies for managing projects. He's published numerous white papers on the topic and presented project management topics at national developer conferences and regional technology meetups. You can find out more about Jason at elusivemoose.com. And now, on with the show. Jason, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Can you start by telling folks a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've been developing custom business applications for about 15 years. Um, I started out in-house, uh, worked for an organization for several years, became a consultant in 2004. Uh, I worked for a consulting company, so I was a developer, and then I eventually became a project manager leading anywhere from six to nine developers, kind of dependent on the you know the project um, projects we had at the time. Uh, and then five years ago, I left that company, started my own uh, small consultancy, and have just sort of done the the typical, um, you know, do you gr- you grow and you think, boy, should I bring in a sub? Should I should I hire employees? And then all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> you've got enough on your plate to to satisfy your needs. And so it's like, well, I'm glad I didn't hire <laughs> a bunch of employees. You know, so I've just been sort of doing that roller coaster ride. Um, for the last five years, developing these custom business apps, mostly for small businesses, some schools and some other small organizations as well. But uh, but for the most part, that's been that's been the the, the ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to consulting, I've also um, taken the project management work that I did and converted that into a, a training and coaching model. So I've also helped small consulting firms and small development shops implement uh, these agile project management methods that I um, help define and help sort of, um, modify for the use in these, in a small consulting environment. And, uh, so, so I've been doing that for a few years as well. Great. So good expertise in that style of project management. So can you know, so for me, I'm sort of a hat, you know, it seems like everybody's like, Oh, we're either agile or waterfall and we want to be agile, but nobody, it doesn't seem to me that most people are strictly adhering to agile methodology Uh, I know I'm one of those people. So could you kind of define it a little bit? Like, what do you think are the core features of an agile process? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I was exposed to agile because I I think, I think I probably lived in that middle ground as well. Right. And Mm -hmm. what, what I think happens is that, that in my experience, people will pick a side and say they are one side or the other, but they're really kind of all living in this hybrid world. Mm-hmm. Um, where you, you try to, you try to get as much information up front about what you want to do. Uh, and you really, you know, we're kind of wired to try to perfectly define everything. Um, and, and then say, okay, that's what we're going to do and then go do it. Right. I mean, it's just sort of a natural way of, of living mm-hmm. of, of any kind of creative process. I got to know what I, what I got to do. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you all these things around it, like how much it's going to cost, et cetera. Then I'm going to go do it and then it's going to be done. Uh, and that's really kind of more of a traditional waterfall approach. Um, and, and the the way that it made sense for me is is manufacturing a, a widget versus uh, developing a product, right? So if you kind of think of it in those in those two terms, manufacturing a widget would be a, a waterfall approach. I can define all of the specifications around whatever it is I'm going to do hand it off to somebody, they will do it and they will return with, if they follow the specifications exactly as I've given it to them, then they'll return with the thing that I said would be completed at the end. So that's waterfall approach. The agile approach is very much like what we would think of as product development. It's iterative, it's very creative, and you can't define everything perfectly up front because things that you do along the way will affect and change the ultimate outcome of the project. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when you think of a, of a team going in and, and doing product development in a very, um, pre prototype stage, you know, if you're going to develop something, right, like a new car or some, some new, uh, gadget or gizmo, you know, you kind of think of these whiteboarding, right? You know, <laughs> these sessions of a bunch of creative people sitting around going, wow, 
we could do this or we could do that. And you, and it's very, very iterative and very, um, very cyclical. And that's, that's the agile approach to, to software development is that you're going to get an idea up front of what it is you want to do. I think of it as, you know, sort of a, um, a goal, you know, I'm standing on one mountain and there's a big valley and a forest and then there's another mountain and I want to get over there. Mm-hmm. I want to get, you know, kind of, there's a spot on that mountain that I can see. It's a little fuzzy. I'm pretty far away from it, but we want to get over there. And then we start the project and we kind of head down our mountain and we run into these roadblocks. We have to maybe go down because there's a stream. There's a place to cross further down the the stream. So we cross there. We, you know, we have all these different sort of obstacles in the way. And eventually we get over to the other mountain where uh, we said we wanted to get to. But there was no way of us to be able to completely map that path out. Mm-hmm. And that that's sort of a high-level abstract conceptual approach to, to Agile. Um, I can get a lot more specific from a technical perspective next, which maybe would help in terms of, uh, you know, a, a software developer's approach to it. But that's that's sort of an abstract conceptual view. Sure. Okay. There's there's one particular thing in there that's just a perfect segue, which is the second mountaintop. So the the really the big question mark in my mind, or, or perhaps in listeners' minds, is what how does that question mark get defined? How do, how does the, who defines what the other mountain is that, you know, I want to be on top of that other mountain. Who is the I in that picture at the client? And, and what do those goals, or in your opinion, what kind of goal is the best kind of goal? Because, uh, you know, the example is super clear. You know, you can see a place that you want to be and mm-hmm. in, in, I think what's going on when people ask me, you know, they say, geez, I, you know, I, but I like to do agile. I can't do value pricing because I like agile and, you know, we can't define everything up front. And there, I think what's happening there in that disconnect is that they're thinking that the value is based on the activities that they're going to do and they can't know those activities, you know, down in the forest, how they're going to cross the river. They don't know that, but that's right what they need to price is the mountaintop on the other side. Like what's it going to be worth to the I person who wants to go to the other mountaintop and all that stuff in the middle doesn't matter. Right. Exactly. So how, in your experience, how do people, what's a good goal and what's a bad goal? Well, you know, I've heard you talk a lot about value pricing and, and, and I think that it's actually the the two, the two ideas are, are very, um, they're very much in alignment because, when I've heard you talk about value pricing, there's this idea that you're not defining the, you know, the technical steps that like the, the number of hours or the, the actual, uh, solution, the actual technical solution mm-hmm. has really nothing to do with the value from the customer's perspective. They want to solve their problem. Mm-hmm. And so, um, in, in a much similar way, uh, an agile approach by not specifically defining a technical specification and saying this is exactly how we're going to do it and this is exactly what it's going to look like at the end by by avoiding those specifics the it's a very similar approach right like i think that the state the primary stakeholder who in my world i would call the product owner or the project owner Mm -hmm. is the person who defines the vision of the project is the person who says over there on that other mountain is success Right. That's where we need to move this this project or this organization or whatever it is that they're trying to achieve. And so my role in this as a as a project manager of the project is to help reconcile the possibilities from a technology perspective with the um, the, the the goal, the vision, the business goal of the prod, the project owner mm-hmm. who is my client, you know, so. So me as a project manager and 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 my client as the project owner, we have to work together to reconcile those two things. They are the ones who are pointing at the mountain. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Right? As a consultant, I, I you know I'm coming into the situation and they're telling me we got to get over there. Now I might, as a consultant, I might say, eh, you really should be a little bit further south, or maybe you should be a little bit further further north to keep the the mountain metaphor going. Mm. Um, but they're ultimately pointing to that other mountain. Um, because they're telling me what they want to do, you know, what they want to achieve as a business, as a business owner, or as a, you know, a primary stakeholder in a business. Right. So, so I think they're the ones who are defining that. And the, and the 
so the I, I agree. I think that's critical. Mm-hmm. And the I th- I want to get a little bit more concrete about the kinds of things that goal might resemble because I think where people get off track when they're like, oh, I couldn't possibly value price this because they see, it seems to me that they see agile as like a scope creep, just scope creepville because, and, and that's why they want to build by the hour because the every week or every two weeks, the customers in there changing priorities. Mm. And they just respond to that. Okay. You know, this is how much work we think we can get done in this sprint. And if that's what you want us to do, that's what we're going to do. And there's no one doing like, I love the word reconciling. There's no one reconciling the goal to that sprint because there either is no goal or the goal keeps moving. Sure. Okay. So let's, let's kind of work into some of the mechanics of the agile process. Uh, and maybe that'll help us. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of see how these two things kind of overlay, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the mechanics of the Agile process are that rather than uh, defining a very specific uh, technical specification, right? So like, you know, you think of a 100-page data dictionary as an example <laughs> um, with diagrams and all this kind of, you know, um, ERDs and um, lists and lists of fields and calculations and formulas and all these different things that would make up a business application. Mm-hmm. That idea of, of uh, the possibility that you could possibly do that <laughs> and do it well and do it in a way that would not be outdated the minute that the project starts is absurd, right? Mm-hmm. It's this, yeah. So what Agile says is rather than dying on the hill that <laughs> if you said it once, it's fact. And, you know, if you've defined it that way six months ago, then we have to adhere to it. Rather than dying on that hill, we're going to we're going to value the idea that things are going to change, that priorities are going to change, that a business is going to evolve, that things that we actually do as we as this project unfolds will help us better define the scope of the project along the path. Mm-hmm. You know, so there are these guiding principles that you can refer to if you go to agilemanifesto.org. These are sort of like the 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 really high level guiding principles of agile projects, and any you, the listeners can go there and, and kind of see this. I'll just touch on a couple of them. Um, individuals and interactions over processes and tools is one. There's only four of these. Um, so with individuals and interactions over processes and tools, it's basically saying this is a human process. Like mm-hmm. we are people who interact with each other and we're imperfect. So we're not gonna even though processes and tools are good and we don't discount them completely, we're, we value uh, human relationships more mm-hmm. uh, and that things you know, might not be uh, completely defined and, and rigid. Uh, the, the next value is working software over comprehensive documentation. And that's kind of what I was just speaking to. Even though we have a 100-page specification that we documented at the beginning of this process, the goal is that the software works. Yeah. <laughs> like that's what we ultimately want. Who cares if it matches page 65 of our technical spec? Mm-hmm. If at the end of the day it works. Yeah. No right? one, in my experience, no one ever on any project I've ever worked on has at the end gone back and made sure that everything that was in the original proposal got done. Exactly. Never but once. The, there's a perception that that's what would happen. Right. And it, it doesn't. The other va- value, customer collaboration over contract negotiation, which essentially brings in that human element again and says that just because the contract said it, if we discover along the way that there's a better solution to this problem, uh, you know, that there's a, a plug in I can buy mm, right. <laughs> or that there's some, you know, some technology that now exists that didn't exist then, we're going to collaborate as a team and we're going to find the solution um, and we're not going to care as much about what, you know, the rigidity of the contract, mm-hmm. um, as long as we all agree on it and it solves and it solves and serves the project. And then the one that I think, you know, these, um, naysayers might get tripped up on is this idea of responding to change over following a plan mm-hmm. so that it's not that a plan doesn't matter. In fact, I do a lot more planning with agile projects than I ever did prior to that. Um, it's just that, it, it accepts the fact that things are going to change and that we have to adapt to them. And mm-hmm. there are things, you know, cooked into these methodologies that sort of embrace that. 
um, idea. But so those are the guiding principles of the agile process. And then when you get down into the mechanics of the process, um, in a real, I'll try to be as brief as I can in a sort of an overview of it. Mm-hmm. What you want to do is you take the, the, this high level overview, this high level discovery of the project, um, you know, your goal, your, your goal on the other side of the, on the other mountain, for example. And then you want to define, um, a list of features that are going to accomplish that goal, but you define them from the perspective of the user mm-hmm. in, in real common language. So I'm not going to tell you about the technology that I'm going to use. I'm not going to tell you about, you know, the, the, the specific language that I'm going to write the software in or anything like that. What I'm going to do is define the features that would satisfy the goals of the project from a user's perspective. So I'm a user, I'm going to be able to fill out a form, you know, and press a button that sends an email to so-and-so. Like that's an example of a, of a user feature. The user sure. can fill out the form. The user can submit the form An email ends up in somebody's inbox or a database is updated with the data from the form. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, a user can, can run a sales report that is, that is grouped by quarter and year and gives me a subtotal of sales. That is a user feature. Mm-hmm. So as a user at the end of the, um, at the end of the project, I can look at that feature and say, can I do that? And I can say yes. And then I know that it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to take your vision, your, you know, the ultimate um, goal of the project and break it down into these user, these um, user based features. And then from that point, um, you, you figure out what, what and how those things should be developed, like in what order they should be developed. There are all kinds of reasons that you might choose to start with something versus something else. There's, it might be a technical dependency. Mm-hmm. You know, the, if you're building some sort of an, um, an order entry system, you know, you might need to have your, your customers defined before you can create an invoice, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's a technical reason for it, but there's also logistical reasons. You know, are the people who you're building the software for available at this time of year when we're building it. Um, you know, if I'm, if, I've, if I'm doing a multiple module system or say I'm building a website for a sales department, are, is it a busy time of the year for the sales department? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. are they out selling? Is the, is the biggest trade show of the year next month? Well, then we might not want to work on that part. Uh, right. You know, we, we may want to move that to a different time of the year or a different schedule or whatever. Um, so, so the project manager and the project owner are going to negotiate this, this, um, series of events, right? This development that's going to take place to, to create this system, work on this system, and then break the project timeline. You know, you'll have an idea of about how long it's going to take. It's not in stone, but you just kind of have an idea, you know, this month we're going to work on this next month. We're going to work on that. Mm-hmm. Then you would break it down further into these sprints, right? Um, or I, I like to call them cycles, Uh, it's a little bit more plain language It's a development cycle. So I'm going to grab a few of these features, pull those features into my, you know, current cycle, and I'm going to work on those features and only those features. And at the beginning of that cycle, we're going to do a more detailed planning than we've done up to this point. Um, so, you know, I've defined the project. I've sat down with my client and I've, I've figured out all the features that would be needed within the software in order to satisfy the goal of the project. Now I'm going to grab the first few features and pull them into the cycle. And we're going to start that cycle with the nitty gritty. Like this is the specifics, what exactly this screen needs to look like, what, you know, what data needs to go into that email that gets automatically sent, whatever. Like that's the point at which we're really specifically defining that those features. And the reason we're doing it then is because it's the closest point in time to the actual development. Right. Yeah, everybody's focused on on a tiny piece so they can focus. And, you know, it, it's your, in my experience, what happens is if you try to kind of bite off more than you can chew, your estimates will always be way, way under. That's and right. if you, in the only way, the only way, unless you're just like magically good and you're you're the only one doing the development, you're just magically good at estimating how long it's going to take you to do something. The only way to do it is to break it down as small as possible. And then you start to get a little bit better accuracy with your estimates. I'm sure there's some people listening that are lone wolves that are amazing at estimating their own work, but this is a, a situation. This is more of a collaborative situation where you've got uh, multiple people 
even if it's just the developer and the customer, the customer can slow things down too. So, oh, absolutely, yo, no, no question about it. But, but the, um, you're right. The the lone wolf who's out there and has done the key is metaphor, right? The key is or, or analogy, I should say. Mm-hmm. The key is analogy. Like I've done something similar before, so I know. Right. Uh, I've learned from my own work, my own patterns. I can give you a pretty good idea of how long it's going to take me to do X because I, because I have a, a, a real analogy, you know, I have something that I can point to, mm-hmm. uh, um, anything that's, um, you know, it, it, you, we all know that estimating is a dark art and yeah. that, you know, uh, anything that you've not done before, you just have to kind of imagine yourself doing it. And there's all these weird voodoo tricks and stuff that you can do to kind of get an idea. But yeah, for the most part, you just have to do it and mm-hmm. you'll find out. Um, so, so when you break it down to these cycles and you say, I'm going to start with these three things, these three features, and we're only going to work on these three features for the next two weeks, then you can really get granular with the planning. Uh, and just from a, I don't know, a biological perspective, you're not completely overwhelmed, hmm. right? You, in other words, I've been on these project teams where we would spend weeks doing discovery <laughs> and, and, and by the by the third day, like you just don't want to do it. Yeah, I, it's I, training. I yeah, you don't want to sit in that office with those poor office people and have them sit there and try to explain what they do all day. They don't want you there. You don't want to be there. Everybody hates each other. And you, you know, know and just, you know what's going to be wrong. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely going to be wrong. I mean, you're just not in the right frame for it. Right. But if I can look at three things, right, that I've I've estimated that will take me a couple of weeks to do. Then I can I can focus only on those three things. It's a shorter meeting. Um, you know, everybody you you get the information. You're like, oh, that's all. Okay, great. You know, and give me the specifications, and then you can go do it. And it's really fresh. It's really top of mind. And um, so the the goal of the end of that cycle or that sprint is that the things that you're working on actually work. Mm-hmm. So you kind of do a little tiny little waterfall development life cycle within each sprint. So yeah, you do just imagine that your entire project are these three features. And so you do your detailed planning, you create the software, you have it tested, you review it, it works, you bring it back, you show it, it's accepted, you Hmm. move on. So let's, let's zoom back out and Uh I want to kind of inject my own approach into this a little bit in case people are still scratching their heads about how this doesn't turn in, like how you could value price something like this and it not turn into a scope creep nightmare because mm-hmm. the, a lot of people feel like the baseball bat the, of hourly billing is the thing that's saving them. So, you know, they, they can say the customer either uh, changes something or something was not shared or a feature is dramatically more complicated than anybody thought it was going to be. And the, the hourly biller can say, okay, they can pull out the baseball bat and say, if you really want to do that, I'm going to hit you with this baseball bat <laughs> and it's going to cost you, you know, and if, if you, t- if I, and I'm suggesting that, you know, you put the bat down and then they're like, well, how do I control the client? How, how do I keep everything on track if, if it doesn't cost them to change their mind? And as we know, change is going to happen. Yes. So. So I'm going to inject a little, some, some suggestions into this where, uh, the way I, since, you know, I do, I've been doing value billing for 10 years and I, I use an iterative process. That's a sort of sloppy version of this. Okay. Uh, And I typically have, well, I usually don't have subcontractors, uh, although sometimes I run projects for customers. So there's subcontractors involved. So I can tell you that this does work with subs and without. Mm -hmm. So, Two really big things. One is that the goal at the very beginning uh, for me is going to be some kind of extremely clear, tangible business outcome. It's not going to be a list of user stories or user features. That'll come after the goal. So so the idea is that we'll usually have conversations about, well, you know, we're going to build this piece of software. It's going to do this stuff. Okay, great. We're, I'm I will capture that and the dev team will know about it and we'll work on it and we'll come back and ask you more questions about it later. But what do you think all of those features are going to do for your business? What needle Mm -hmm. is that going to move? And that's the thing we want to measure. We want to measure, you know, are we 
you know, is it something that, uh, they're building a foundation for, you know, a platform for the next 10 years of growth of their business because they're going in a new direction now that like, say they, the CEO is like embraced mobile and knows that he doesn't know how to get there from the PC legacy PC architecture that they have. So, you know, so the ultimate goal is to be, you know, something like, uh, for the organization to be mobile first or to be more innovative or to be able to, you know, something like something that a manager can understand, like a CEO can understand without having it explained like, Oh, here's the login flow. And then they'll be able to download a PDF. And like, those are all, those are all important details, but they are not included in my definition of what the goal is. That's one thing. And the other thing is, so in other words, the price would be determined, um, in absence of a complete list of those features. I, I would sure. talk about enough of them to have a rough idea that the, that the business goal is feasible. Right, right. I don't want to engage in a project that can't win, you know, that can't be a win for the customer. Right. So that's one thing. The other thing is in these individual, um, cycles, you call them, I usually call them sprints. In those individual cycles, I only ask the customer for their opinion on, I don't even ask them for their opinion. I ask them for the business requirements for the very specific thing that we're working on. And I don't even reveal how we're going to do it or what we're going to do or what color this thing is going to be. I just mm-hmm. need to know the stuff that, that I can't know or I can't use my expertise to take a good guess at. And that way it keeps them focused on the thing that they're good at, which is telling me how their job works and the in, the subtleties of how they need to interact with their customers or whatever it is, the things that I can't know from my experience. Right. So they're always feeling like an expert telling me just the, the piece about their job that they do every single day and they just know it cold. They're an expert at this thing. And I'll take that. And instead of saying, okay, Alice, do you think we should put the button over here or over there? Or do you think the email should look like this or the email should look like that? I'll just build it the way I think it should be Mm -hmm. and present it to them. So anything that I feel falls under my expertise, I will just do, I will decide for them. I feel like that's my job Mm -hmm. to not involve them in these, you know, what should the typography look like? You know, it's like, (laughs) you know, it's, it's too much. They're not good at that. So then when I'm done with it, you know, since we're just like you, we're doing presenting these like these mini, 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 mini projects over and over at the end, uh, I'll show it to them and they'll, there's usually at least like at least one, maybe three things that I could have gone one way or gone the other way. And the younger me would have asked, Hey, do you think I should go this way or that way? And they'd be like, I don't know that way. Right. And, and, and and so over time I was like, I found that it was so hard for me to almost like educate them enough to see the fork in the road that I was like, I'm not even going to, I'm probably just making this problem up. I'm just going to decide which fork in the road. I'm going to do it. I'm going to have the other one in the back of my mind. And if they're scratching their head when they see this feature, I'll know that maybe I should have taken the other fork. But it almost never happens. So I'll present them with working software with the minimum amount of input from them that I can possibly get away with. And they'll react to it. And they'll usually be like, like 90% of the time, they're like, looks great. Move on to the next thing. Done. And when I think about how I would have done that when I was younger and like involve them in every decision, like I think you need to have a lot of communication with the client, but not about your expertise. So the things that you feel like you're the boss of, so to speak, that just be the boss of it. I agree with that. I agree with that 100 percent. I think that um, another way of thinking about that is when I said the features as they're defined, these little units of work are the outcome. Hmm. Of what they'll be able to do and not the just not the decision about the solution of the problem like they don't care like who would care yeah. on the back you know what i mean like who would care exactly how i'm gonna solve that technical problem as long as the problem gets solved right yeah i mean i you know i always think i always use the these um and these analogies with contractors because i have this house and i've had to do a lot of work on it and mm. it, it, i it's the same kind of thing like i always Roofers are my favorite because I, <laughs> what a nightmare, right? That's been, um, <laughs> and, and it's just like the same kind of thing. Like I've, I never would have, when the roofers came to look at my house and su- make suggestions to me, I never would have injected my opinion. Right. Like, well, so what's your roofing, you know, what's your roofing process? And can I, can I learn it so I can, they, <laughs> so I can help you decide how to do my roof? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, you the, know, 
the problem that I had was it was raining in my living room. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. You, Can you get my coffee table dry, please? You guys fix that. <laughs> We're good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so and I know that it's not a perfect analogy, but it, but I still feel like when when we hire experts uh, to come and work on these things um, for us, we might have to make a decision here or there. Mm -hmm. There might be some, or uh, there might be some information that I can provide uh, that would help them make a decision. And I always provide that information when I, when I know that it would, you know, it might be something hidden or it might be something that I've learned over the years. But when it comes to them actually solving the problem, I trust them, um, which is why I hired them. Mm -hmm. And they do this every day, right? So, no, I, so I, I agree with that. I think that, I think there's a, there's a, a level of collaboration that, I would err on your side. So I would err on the side of, I'm going to just go ahead and handle this. Um, and then depending on the situation, I've, of course, I've had experiences with um, art, you know, design companies or advertising agencies or these different groups that are going to be a lot more particular about color and whatever. Mm -hmm. um, they're just going to be more particular about it. There's branding issues and that's what, it's something that they care about. But I've also worked for manufacturing companies and contractors and they don't care. Mm -hmm. like, and you're right. Why burden them with the decision of what color the screen should be or what color this button should be? Uh, as long as it's intuitive and we we have enough decades of this kind of work under our belts now to know that green typically means go. Or <laughs> yeah, yeah. Red typically means stop or delete or whatever. Mm. Um, so, yeah, for sure. I, I, I think that that I think that that plays well. Um, I want to speak briefly to to your idea that you're not actually defining the features. Um Yes. And you're, you know, during that estimating process. And I think that doesn't matter at all when it comes to using the agile process, because one of the challenges that I faced 10 years ago when I started implementing agile into a consulting situation is that agile was created and refined and and all the publications, at least that were around for the first five or six years that agile was kind of a thing. It all came from high high level enterprise in-house development. Hmm. So these these were, you know, the, the original scrum books right. um, were written from the perspective of I've got teams of developers, you know, five to seven developers, maybe one, two, three teams working on a, uh, on a system over three or five years. That's dramatically different from the solo consultant who's building a website or building a business application or building a mobile app for a small company or for a large company, for that matter, for the, you know, um, that's very just a very different environment. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the S Scrum uh, was written and developed under this context of internal stakeholders and capacity and timeline. You know, how quickly can you roll out the new module for the sales team? Right. Not can you do it and I have a budget of fifty thousand dollars. Like budget wasn't even a factor. Hmm. And so when you when you look back and you study these early versions of Scrum as they were published in these textbooks. Um, there was no project definition at all. There was no like completed feature list prior to the start of the project. Um, they they use what's called a product backlog, which is the constant. It's it's a constantly evolving list of things that people want in the software, and that 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 backlog gets prioritized by the project manager or the scrum master, or whatever term you want to use. And it's being constantly negotiated and, and prioritized with the stakeholders. And so when they would look at when they would look at a sprint, it was really about what can we what can we actually accomplish within this next two weeks or 30 days or however they defined it mm -hmm. in, in a time box. Yeah. How can we best apply the resources that we have to exactly. this list? Mm -hmm. Exactly. So so I would go to these agile um, workshops and and talks and different things like that. And I remember one guy. I had been doing it for a couple of years in a consulting environment. And yeah, we had to change some things, right? We had to modify things to make it fit. But I remember a guy standing up there and he said, look, if you're a consultant, then you, you can't use this stuff. So you might as well just leave now. And I'm thinking <laughs> to myself, well, I just did it. You know what I mean? I'm, <laughs> I am doing it. But he just wasn't in that world. And he, he couldn't see how he couldn't see how a client would give you any kind of leeway. Right. Mm -hmm. He couldn't see. And I think those are some of the roadblocks that that you were talking about earlier some of these these um, perspectives that say, well, I can't do that. I need my hourly billing so that I don't get killed. Mm -hmm. But that, that's not really true. Um, so if you so let me break this apart a little bit. So the first piece is Agile was defined in an environment where um, things were not being estimated by hours or dollars. 
I mean, they were being estimated by hours in the sense of how much capacity do I have with my team over the time box mm-hmm. over the next two weeks or or or, uh, or 30 days or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't being defined in hours where the budget was, you know, somebody was going to have to pay more money. Right. It was it's just, just like how many features, how, how much stuff can I fit in this box? Yeah. How much can we do? And and so that so that they know whether or not to roll out the training program um, right. or that or, or so that we know when the you know, it's going to go into user testing or whatever. Uh, yeah, because so, you have to plan some things ahead. That's, I mean, it's funny sometimes people I hear developers get all is kind of angry because like, oh well, you know, the, everybody want you know the 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 uh, project owner or the, the client they they want you know to hit this miles they they want to know the future and how could I possibly and I'm like, well, it's understandable that they would want to know that they need to schedule things like just like you said, you need to get user testing set up or is it time to do the documentation because that's going to be a project unto itself. Exactly. Yeah. Right. There, there are logistical dependencies on what you're doing. Um, but the process itself was defined outside of the idea of consulting. So, mm-hmm. so we've got that in our favor because I think the value pricing approach you're talking about is kind of outside of the traditional way we think about consulting. It's, it's saying that we're going to price it based on what it's going to do for your business. So I think that's fine uh, mm-hmm. because now all you're doing is you're managing it as though it's, it's kind of like an in-house project where, you know, meaning – you're now you're now defining the uh, these features along the way. You're filling up your backlog, and your backlog is evolving. Um, but you've got the mission of the project and the the you know that ultimate outcome mm-hmm. to to work toward. That's the key. If you yep. don't if you don't have a goal, you don't have a mission. You don't have a defined outcome. Yeah. Boom. Boom. You're done. I mean, first, first of all, you can't create a value price if you don't have the mission anyway. So if you provided a price for something that had no goal, it wasn't a value price. It was just a fixed bid. Exactly. And if, so if you do, so that, you know what? I think this is the ultimate disconnect. This is the thing that people are emailing me about when they, when they say, I don't see how Agile can work with this. Because when I say value price, to me, it's so obvious that there has to be a goal in order to set that, that is, I probably, probably went without saying you know so my definitely my bad there so just to reiterate you need to know the goal of the project the desired business outcome of the project before you could even set a value price once you have that goal then agile's fine because you're going to be moving toward that target the the mountain in the distance you can see it that's That's you can measure your progress towards it and your success and failure depends on how well you value priced it yeah. Right. Like you, you, you are saying at the beginning of this exercise, it's worth X amount of dollars and you're going to do it. You know, <laughs> so you've made some, de- you've made some decision that it's a, that it's a winnable project for you and your, your client. Mm-hmm. The agile piece of it is, is I think just a really good way of keeping everybody focused and on task. Yeah. They're unrelated. Completely. Yeah. Um, and you can, you can, um, prioritize features, uh, by points, like it doesn't have to be about time or hours. Um, in fact, in the in-house world where it, it doesn't really matter, it's, they, they most often are, um, estimating features based on the complexity of the feature, not the amount of time it will take. Hmm. So they would, they would apply a point system to say this feature is two or three times more complex than that feature. Um, and the complexity of the feature would, it could speak to the time it's going to take, right? Mm-hmm. Unless of course you find a third party <laughs> tool that you can just buy and plug in. And then that comp, you know, like a, an integration with an accounting system. Yeah. Boom. It, it might be an incredibly complex thing, but if somebody solved the problem for you, it, it will take two minutes right. instead of, instead of four weeks, but it's still a very complex thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's, it's prioritized, you know, using some measure. Uh, and then that, that measurement is kind of, um, applied to how much capacity we have and how much we can get done within a certain time box. Um, but yeah, they're, they're kind of disconnected. The one, the one last thing that I want to address as we sort of wind this down is, Mm -hmm. is the scope creep idea. Yes. Uh, And so when I first started, um, using agile, my, the biggest problem that I had to solve as a developer and as a project manager of, of develop development teams was, um, the business changes, right? The, the, the scope creep, it was the, it, that's the big nasty word that all, all of my clients, I, every project, my biggest fear was that the client was going to come to me in the middle of it and give me more stuff to do. 
and that I was going to have to go back to my boss and say, I did the stuff or I didn't do this stuff and now the clients matter or whatever, like all the problems that, that, that are caused by it. Mm. Agile, when I was introduced to Agile, it, the concept was change is welcome. So how could that possibly be? How can you welcome change and still, and still, you know, have a successful project? Well, to, it was just a shift. It was basically a shift in mindset and a few really specific techniques that I've used to manage the expectations. It's all about, it's all about expectation management. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning of a project, I explained to the, um, to the client that this is the list of features. Now, unlike you, I'm actually defining the features, um, at the beginning of, of the project and I'm, I'm defining it as a full scope. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying, these are all the things that we're going to build in order for you to accomplish the goal. So I'm saying this is the, this is the work uh, you know, the scope of work that we're going to be working from. If anything comes up along the way and uh, when things come up along the <laughs> yeah, way, exactly. And, and I will tell them I've done this long enough. It's going to happen. It might happen the very first meeting we have, but when these other things come up along the way, what I'm going to do is I'm going to capture those, but I'm not going to put them in the feature list. I'm going to put them in an enhancements list. Yep. So I'm going to be running two lists. You're going to have visibility into that list and I'm, and I'm going to have visibility, but anything that you bring to me, or anything that I uncover through this process that is not part of the feature list goes on the enhancements list. Now, we can do one of three things to, to items that are on the enhancements list. The first thing we can do is leave them there, and we'll do them so, some other time in the context of some other project, right? a future phase, whatever. Mm -hmm. Or we can, uh, if the, the project is accelerating at a rate that is faster than we expected, or whatever, however you define that, if we're doing well, right, mm -hmm. if we're knocking it out of the park, we may just bring in enhancements and say, we'll keep the same, we'll keep the same budget. It's not going to cost you anymore, but I found that plugin, right? I found that plugin and we purchased it for 500 bucks and we, we slapped it in there and we just saved 10% of the project. So I've got a little wiggle room here. How about if we go ahead and take care of some of those enhancements for you? Great. Mm -hmm. The third thing we can do, which happens the most frequently is we prioritize them and say, these two are critical. Like these two are critical to the success of the, the vision of the project. Therefore, we look at the feature list and we find things that are less critical and we swap them out mm -hmm. based on, based on the, you know, the assumed level of complexity. So, you know, maybe I need this report, but I don't need that report. Or maybe the sales module can wait for another phase that frees up you know, 5% of my project. Therefore, I can bring in these 5% of these critical uh, enhancements in. We keep the same budget. We keep the same timeline. Um, we just swap out the scope. The key there is having that conversation at the beginning of the project mm -hmm. and then reinforcing it every step of the way. Like, use the same language. You know, refer back to the beginning of the project and you say, Hey, you remember when we talked about enhancements? Yeah. Yeah. This is one of those cases. Yep. It's, oh. This is crazy. I do the exact same thing, but it's, it's, I, I never thought of it as a formalized process. It's just the way I do it. And sure. it's the exact same thing you just described. It's remarkable how many people just don't at all. Hmm. Like they freeze, they freeze. It's like, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Client wants something else. I don't know what to do. Yeah. Like they either they panic and they just do it because they're just, they want to satisfy, satisfy, mm -hmm. satisfy, or their defense goes up and they're like, nope, change form, more money. The baseball bat. Yes, exactly. It, no, it, I, it, I basically, so the, the, the sort of mine's blurrier than yours. I like yours because it does enforce it throughout. Um, I, I just kind of do it and it would be better. I actually, I actually like this idea of, of making it more explicit, but just to give people a, another vision of how, how it's been working for me. I'll just say when somebody comes to me with a thing that's clearly not in scope, right? It's yeah. definitely a new thing. I'll say, okay, I'll, I'll evaluate, you know, just like, let me understand what you're saying. Okay. Now I understand what you want to do. And then I'll say, how does this contribute to achieving the final goal that we set way back at the beginning? Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. And usually since I don't have a feature list, so I'll say, how does this contribute to the goal? And they'll almost always say, well, I guess it doesn't. Perfect. But, but if they can make a case that it does and I, and we're in agreement, then of course I'm going to do it because it's going to get us to the goal faster. So why wouldn't I do it? Sure. So it's, it's not like, and then, and, and the rare occasion where they're like, um, 
this is no, 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 this is a deal breaker. We have to do it, even though you disagree that it has, or, or they'll say our goal was wrong. We have to do this other thing, you know, and mm. then I'll say like, okay, let's pump the brakes. This other thing is a different project. It's a different goal. So we can pause the current project. I'm not going to work on two projects at once. That'll, that'll destroy your organization. Basically, right. you, you already have a full-time job and this project. We're not putting a, another project on your plate. Right. So we'll pause the current project and we'll, I'll give you a quote for this other project and this other goal. And they'll, no one has this. I think that's only happened to me once. And they were like, yeah, you're right. Let's put that on hold and stay with the current project. And then of course the, the other project never comes back because it was just somebody's hair was on fire and it went away. So, yeah. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but I love how you said, I love how you said that, you know, how does this achieve the goal? Because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm pointing to a feature list. It's how I like to work. And, mm -hmm. and each of those features has an idea. Here's a, here's a, a trick, right. That I, mm -hmm. that I use, I'll, I'll give the features an ID number, just a, whatever one through 50. Yep. And then I always use that number. I always refer to that number. So, so if we're talking about something, I might question, I might say, wait a minute, which, which feature number are we talking about here? Mm -hmm. And then they, oh, well, it's not, it's not, it doesn't have a feature number. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Well then it's, then it goes on this list. <laughs> awesome. Like I'm not a deceitful person, but it, there have been cases where I've just sort of pretended that I spaced out, came back to the conversation, you know, like if I was working with the developer sure, and, and be like, oh, I'm sorry guys, I just got distracted. What feature number are we on? Yeah. And yeah. then they're like, well, we're not on a feature number. Oh, yeah. okay. So this is an enhancement. Let me go ahead and put that on the list over yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Because I mean, it's, it, it's, a, it's all about communication and keeping people on track. And when you have this long-term, you know, three or more months of collaborative effort with stakeholders all over the place, maybe even third parties might have APIs that are, you know, it's just another company that's involved in all these integrations. It, I mean, it really boils down to being able to herd cats and Absolutely. keep everybody on track. It's like that. I see that as my, as my job, especially in cases where I'm managing like an outsourced team for a client or I'm kind of, I'm not even managing them. I'm just kind of like, like uh, parental guidance. And I'm always, I'm always saying to the business people, cause business people, a lot of times will be like, start saying, well, maybe you could solve it like this or solve it like that. And I'd be like, I'm like, yeah, we'll, we'll figure out how to solve it. Don't worry. You don't need to waste your time trying to like suggest how we're going to, you know, code it. Um, <laughs> right, right. appreciate the input, but you don't have to worry about that. But what we do need from you is, more um, information about the customers, more information about the business, what's happening in the industry, the things that are, we're, our eyeballs are not on. Absolutely. You know, and we want you guys keep your eyes on the thing that you're awesome at and report back and we will do what we're awesome at and we'll report back. And, and, and the whole time I'm going to be looking at the mountaintop on the horizon and I'm going to make sure we're going closer and closer to it. Absolutely. That's your pointing back to a feature number is that you've yeah. got that. In my, and, and, and frankly, you know, I mean, all I'm really doing here is I'm taking some of these concepts that that successful managers of these software consulting projects do naturally. And mm -hmm. I'm taking them and I'm saying, here's, here's a little bit more of a formal process around them. It's not rigid. Otherwise I couldn't call it agile. <laughs> it's, it's very, you know, different clients require different levels of, of this, um, these processes. And I have to kind of feel that out as I go. But all I'm doing is I'm wrapping it up and then I'm teaching my client. I'm teaching them at the beginning and I'm reinforcing throughout the process how it is that we're working together. Mm. I'm coaching them. Yes. You know, and 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 the reason that I use different language from what's published, like, you know, we are referred to cycle. Mm -hmm. The reason is because uh, when I started doing this and I was using those the scrum words. Yeah. Like these people don't know what that is. You know, I might be working for a, a manufacturing company or I might be working for a for a, um, uh, you know, a chimney sweep is one of my clients. It's awesome. <laughs> right. They sweep chimneys. I mean, so I go in there and I say, well, I'm the scrum master. You know, they, <laughs> Where's your they robe? Might, yeah, they might, they might think that it's, it's something they shouldn't be looking at on the Internet, you know, over lunch. <laughs> so I say, well, OK, I'm the project manager. And instead of a sprint, which, you know. Yeah, I'm going to call it, you know, it's a cycle. I'm, it's I'm jargon. You don't want to throw jargon at clients. Exactly. Now, if I was working and I've been on, I've been on scrum teams as a consultant within an organization, mm -hmm. like I was, the, you know, a part of the team as a, as a third party vendor. 
And yeah, we're going to use all the jargon. That's fine. I know how what it means. You know what it means. And if you're working in-house, you can teach your stakeholders that language. You can send them to Scrum class. You can give them a book. Um, and everybody will be on the same page and you can use it. But in the consulting world, it just never made sense to me to try to teach them a whole dictionary of things. Um, yeah, so it's I call just it awkward. a feature. I don't call it a user story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even that just feels a little esoteric in my opinion. Totally agree. Well, Jason, this has been amazing. And I think that the, the moral of the story is that as long as you have a goal, you can value price and you can use agile to manage the project. Absolutely. Fabulous. So where can people find out more about you? Where do you live online? So all of, uh, all of my project management coaching and training and this kind of information is at Elusive Moose. Now, Elusive Moose is a platform um, that my partner Molly Connolly and I um, have built and we're, you know, we're exploring. Uh, and this, this platform is a, it's an online resource for software developers. Um, there's a membership portal. You can you know, get all kinds of great information about managing projects or managing any aspect, really, of your software development business. That's at elusivemoose.com. Um, go there. Check it out. Uh, shoot me a message at jason at elusivemoose.com if you have any questions. Um, and if you want to learn more specifically about project management, um, I just released a paper on the 10 elements of a software development project. The idea behind this paper is to, to help people do a self-audit of what parts of the process um, they may uh, you know, have room for improvement. You can go to elusivemoose.com slash stop the madness. Uh, <laughs> and there's some information there about um, you know, kind of the, the, the problems that you're probably facing if you're struggling with project management. You can download the, the, uh, the paper and it'll be a preview of a lot more that's it's really on the horizon and more to come around project management for software devs. Wow, thanks so much, Jason. That sounds great. People should definitely go check that out. Uh, this, has been, this has been wonderful. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Always a pleasure. The next time someone asks you for your hourly rate, this is what I'd like you to say. I don't have one. To learn what to say next, visit valuepricingbootcamp.com to sign up for my free email course. Again, that website is valuepricingbootcamp.com. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one -on -one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call, you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one -on -one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.